Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Basillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go an, into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Let's jump right into it, because we actually have one guest two topics tonight, both of which we feel are very important to talk about as Catholics. Um, one on the devotional end. I think one Father Kirby is with us. Father, maybe more on the educational end, uh, you know, trying to have you relate to people how to understand the Bible, apply the Bible in your daily life. So we're going to cover a lot of good ground here today. We're going to have a lot of fun. And as I just mentioned to you, uh, the audience, we are uh, welcoming back to the program, Father Jeffrey Kirby. And the first book, that he has written that we're going to be discussing is out from Sophia Press. That is a journey to Mount Carmel, a nine-day preparation for investiture in the brown scapular of Our Lady. Now, many of you out there, you listened to our last interview with Father Kirby, uh, but just to bring you up to speed for those of you who have not, Father Jeffrey Kirby is a papal missionary of mercy. He is the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, and an adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College. He's a senior contributor to the Crux News site and the author of several books, two of which we're going to be discussing today. Father Jeffrey Kirby, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks, Joe. It's good to be back on the show. Absolutely. With that, Joe Racinello. Father, could you lead us in prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit into our minds and hearts. Help us to hear all that you desire to teach us and to generously do all that you ask of us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Father, I, the Holy Spirit. I love the way you said that. Most of the time you hear, let us pray, in a very kind of sorry. You said, let us pray. That's right. And, 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 and that's got that's carrying us over through this conversation. <laughs> Let us pray. I mean, I know when I have my dry moments and I'm 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 lax in my prayers and I'm ashamed over it. Words, but then when I sit down, I kind of I, I have kind of that attitude. It's like, yeah, I gotta sit down. Let me <laughs> let me pray, man. Amen. So I, I'm so happy you said it like that. Joe Rosinello, where do you want to start? Well, we'll start with the brown scapula, but I want to just throw a disclaimer to our listeners. Follow Father Kirby. I'm serious. We are blessed, Father, because we we listen, you know, a lot of good guests, a lot of good priests. Um, this guy, I'm telling you, he is on point. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him by his books. I mean it because he is out in the breach. That's why he's on the show. Um, and we're so thankful that he's here oh, with thank us. You, thank you. Um, with that, Father, what is the brown scapular? Where did it come from? And why do we need to wear it? Yes, yes. So just practically, if, if some of the listeners have, have never seen or heard of the brown scapular, it's actually just two small pieces of wool cloth uh, held together by two strings. And usually it's worn over the shoulder. So a piece of the cloth is on a person's chest. And then the other piece of cloth is usually uh, along their back. And the scapular is, is an ancient Christian uh, symbol, a, a, a sacramental given to us. 
and it's a symbol, a sign of our consecration to Jesus through Our Lady. So a beautiful, uh, again, gift given to us by Our Lady, a great, great opportunity for us. You know, just every day to be reminded as we wear the scapular on our bodies that the Lord is with us, that we are not alone, and that we are consecrated to Him, that our lives are for Him. We are to follow His way in, in all of our decisions and, and how we uh, conduct ourselves, how we live our lives. Father Kirby, let me ask you a question. I'm not going to try to be a troublemaker, okay? But I can hear Protestants when we talk about sacramentals. We're on the scapular. That's what we're talking about. All right. Where'd that come from? Why do we need that? And I want to say respectfully to them, well, you know what? And you just mentioned it. This is an early Christian tradition, okay? Yes. Centuries and centuries before Martin Luther came along, okay? Yes. In other words, they didn't consider it to be idolatry. They didn't consider it to be anything other than what it is, which is a sacramental, which draws us to the sacraments. Talk about that. Am I off yes. in, in my assessment there, Father? No, no, no. Just, just. I mean, for example, you know, St. Paul tells us in, in his writings, he says, put on the Lord Jesus, and, and further, he says, clothe yourself in Christ. And for many Christians, you know, this brown scapular is just one way to remind us of that. It, it's an external way for us to be every day called forward, you know, challenged in our Christian discipleship. So there's no conflict between the sacramentals of the church, especially the brown scapular, uh, and, and biblical faith. And we just run with, with the brown scapular. Let, let's go to the scriptures. So first of all, devotion to Mount Carmel and, and to the spirit of Mount Carmel actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the time of the prophets. Many of the prophets went to Mount Carmel. It's a mountain range in the northern part of the Holy Land. They would go there. There were, there were fresh springs. There was relative safety. But more importantly, it was known as a place of peace. And the prophets would go there in order to quiet down, in order to listen and to wait for God. In particular, we hear the powerful story of the prophet Elijah who challenged and had this competition with the priests of the false god Baal. And they go back and forth, and it's described in the scriptures. And through this challenge, Elijah shows the majesty and the power of the living God. So Mount Carmel early on in, in biblical uh, tradition uh, is very prominent in terms of a place of God, a place of waiting, a place of prayer. So in the early Christian tradition, we had many men and women who felt called to Mount Carmel. They went and they lived there in the various caves uh, throughout uh, the Mount Carmel uh, mountain range. And eventually those hermits developed the various uh, aspects of spirituality. They have these powerful accounts of Our Lady appearing to them and mystical visions of, of Our Lady calling them to draw closer to the Lord Jesus and to wait for God and so on. And eventually in the course of time, because of the needs of the church, these hermits became mendicants. And those are kind of like the traveling preachers, like the Franciscans and the Dominicans. And that's how the rest of the church, that's how we got to know them. So for a long time, they just lived at Mount Carmel and were nurturing their spirituality. And then eventually it spread throughout the entire church uh, because the Carmelites were called out to be friars, to be mendicants rather than hermits. And that's how we get the brown scapular. So Joe, to your point, this is something we can go to the Old Testament and see. We can go to the New Testament. And, and you know, as human beings, we're body and soul. And anything that can help us to be reminded that God is with us and how we're supposed to be living uh, it, it is a plus in my book. And sacramentals are a great help in that area. And I'll say this. In a secular world where we are told every day in the midst of our society, God doesn't exist. God's not important. Keep your faith to yourself. Shut up. Don't talk about moral truth. Don't talk about prayer. Well, I think we need all the help we can get, and I think the brown scapular is at the top of that list. 
Well, thank you for that. Father Jeffrey Kirby's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, his book that you could buy at Sophia Press, A Journey to Mount Carmel, a nine-day preparation for investiture, investiture in the brown scapular of Our Lady. Joe, Joe. Father, let's talk about the book itself. You break it down. Preparation, teaching, spiritual exercises. Um, get everyone ready before they buy it. How do you, how do you come up with the structure? Yes, yes. So first, in, in full transparency, there's no official preparation for investiture in the Brown Scapular. So uh, if there are any uh, Carmelite friars or brothers or sisters listening, um, and they're like, wait a minute, what is he talking about? There's no official preparation. Uh, that, that's completely accurate. I, I drafted this because, you know, people who, you know, oftentimes are, are reading my stuff or my parishioners were saying, hey, if, if I have to do 33 days to prepare for the Marian consecration of St. Louis de Montfort, shouldn't I have some type of preparation before I'm invested in the Brown Scapular? Well, so many people over the course of years have just asked about that. Eventually I thought, you know, we, yeah, why not? Let, let's draft something. So I used the six baptismal promises and just kind of stretched them out in order to uh, give nine days of preparation. And I chose nine because of the, not, you know, the number nine is important to us as Catholics because of the novena prayer. And so I thought, well, let's do nine days of preparation and then in the investiture or a devotional reinvestiture that sometimes people do. And But to, to your point, Joe, each chapter reflects one of those days. And there's preparation prayers, the Holy Spirit to Our Lady, kind of get our, our minds focused. And then there's the teaching section. And again, it's the, the preparation is based on the baptismal promises. So I use a lot of scripture, uh, pastoral stories, catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, accounts from the lives of the saints. So I try to put everything I, I can in that in order to make it engaging, enjoyable, to help it flow. People are busy. I'm not trying to give people heavy theology or make people kind of just, you know, get headaches trying to figure out what, what what's being said. So it, it's very uh, colloquial, approachable. And, and that's the teaching part. And then the heart of each chapter are those spiritual exercises. So I just try to throw everything in there from an examination of conscience to different prayer forms like composition of place, so Lexio Divina or the Pristinia. All these are ancient prayer forms in our tradition. Also, you know, traditional prayers that people might be aware of or not. Also, you know, things to think about during the Stations of the Cross or the Rosary. Also, I highlight parts of the Mass and say, hey, this part that we're talking about is really emphasized in these different parts of the Mass and so many other things. Now, no one's expected to do all of those <laughs> for each day. So I'd say right at the beginning, I'm giving you as much as I can from our spiritual tradition, but then you have to pick what helps you in during this time of preparation, what resonates with you where you are in your spiritual life. So uh, again, my goal is just to, to flood and provide as many resources as possible, because let me tell you, Joe and Joe, people don't know our spiritual tradition. You know, there are people who leave the Christian faith and they say there's no spirituality in the Christian faith. And that, there, there could not be anything farther from the truth because we have a rich treasury of spiritual wisdom and spiritual resources in the church. Well, that's for the problem with that, Father Jeffrey Kirby, is that the perception in, and Joe and I and you, we grew up in the 70s and the 80s. OK, that stuff was for the old people. In other words, that's what happened. No men. Like the men who fought at Lepanto prayed the rosary, okay? In other words, the men, the, the rosary, the scapular, the devotions of the church, okay? The spirituality of the church. That's not for just the old ladies. It's great that they're there because how many souls are in heaven because of the prayers of all those old ladies? No, but this is for men to avail themselves of sacramentals. We grew up in a time where I'm, I could speak for myself. It was not emphasized. 
devotion to the rosary, the scapular. My wife is the one. And, and, and my wife and Joe's wife are sisters. So, so, you know, and their mom is super duper prayer warrior. Okay. She's all about the devotions. So the bottom line is, um, you know, they, they, uh, you know, there's this misconception, I think, and people think, well, I, I don't really need that. Well, I'll tell you something. Yes, you do. Okay. Yes, you do. Okay. Because we are struggling through this existence. Okay. And we need all the help we can get. Go ahead, father. You were going to come. Just, just to emphasize that real quick is, you know, there's, there's an old picture of Pope St. John Paul II when he was a young man uh, under the uh, Nazi occupation, he was working in a, in a, in a salt mine. You know, as you can imagine, like just intense work, difficult work. And there's a picture of him with his uh, fellow workers there. And there's a young John Paul II, you know, in the salt mine. And he doesn't have a shirt on and he's got a scapular on. And all these other men who are working, I mean, they're talking, we're talking about manual labor here, you know, un, under an oppressive regime. And they're all wearing their scapulars, <laughs> took their shirt off because they're probably sweating, but they kept their scapulars on. And, and to your point, Joe, that's masculinity. That That's a, a masculine spirituality that regrettably has been eclipsed uh, in, in more recent times, but it's coming back. I, I, and, and it's great to see. And, and to the men of the church, it's, you know, don't don't let the, the devil make you think that these devotions are somehow effeminate or, you know, less than masculine. It's like, no, like men, men should be wearing the scapular and leading their families in the rosary and going to mass and, and fully diving into the spiritual treasure of the church. Absolutely. Joe Racinello. I want to take it in also a different direction. I mean, you mentioned that we need all the help we can get. And Joe said it, too. It's true. And that's not a crutch. You know. Christ asks us to do things. You as a priest, me as a dad, Joe as a dad. You can't do them without the sacramentals, without the sacraments. You can't. People have to get this through their head. That's why the church is here. Like, we need that. I can tell you right now, I'll speak for me. I can't live without the sacraments. I, you know, I go to confession and the priest tells me where I go. He said, Joe, you got to pray more. You've got to pray more because if you don't do that, there's no fuel in the car. And that's what this is. (laughs) And I can't emphasize that enough. It's so important. Amen. Amen. And oftentimes, you know, believers, you know, don't realize that the sacraments were given in order to give us that grace, that, that fuel in order to live the Christian way of life. So if we're trying to follow the Lord Jesus and we, we don't understand the sacraments and we don't you know, readily you know, avail ourselves of the sacraments, then we, we, we don't have what we need in order to follow the Lord, which, which means we're going to compromise. We're going to redefine the gospel. We're going to change the gospel. But then also is we might believe falsely that somehow we can't really live the gospel. Like Jesus asking too much because we're still trying to do it on our own strength rather than receiving the grace of God that's given to us through the sacraments. Or what happens is we receive the sacraments every blue moon, and the sacraments themselves can become idols because they're just rites of passage, or it's just something that you know makes me feel good, or it's some type of heirloom. You know, Rather than the sacraments being these mysteries by which we encounter the Lord Jesus on the way, and he strengthens us in order to continue to follow his way and one day be with him in heaven. So to your point, Joe, that the sacraments of the heart, like it, it, you know, people say, "Oh, it's a crutch." I, I say it's not a crutch; it's life support. <laughs> you know, oh, uh, no, ab- absolutely, Father Kirby. I'm reminded when Jesus said, "You who are heavily burdened, come to me," and we are burdened. 
Okay, and the burden is way too heavy. Sin and and, and, and it's in the world, concupiscence, it is way too heavy. I'll tell you from my own personal point of view, okay, before I met my wife, had I gotten married to my wife and 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 she wasn't as devotional, let's put it like that, as far as the faith, and, and really getting me in, back into things that maybe I fooled around with when I was a kid, like sacramentals and sacraments, okay, that I knew about maybe when I was little. I, I, would, I couldn't have made it, Father. And I'm telling you, it's still a struggle. Every day is a struggle. All right. Paul says run the race to the end. Okay. That means you gotta keep running. Don't slow down. Okay. <laughs> I can't do it. That's I'm gonna right. speak for only myself. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. I can't even imagine. And I haven't done great things, maybe even God's eyes there. But the thing is, I couldn't imagine doing anything. If I was the guy from my former life just coming into the church and not being so well attuned to the sacraments and the sacramentals. I just, I just can't. I, I wanted to throw that out there. Yes, yes. Well, Joe, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. If, if we don't have the sacraments, if, if we're not receiving the grace of God, then we, we cannot do this. Like, you know, I, I cannot have, I, I, and I think anyone who would say the opposite is either a liar or a fool, <laughs> because there's no living the gospel way of life without the grace of God that comes to the sacraments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Father Jeffrey Kirby is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. This is a great conversation. This is why Joe and I do this show. So Father Kirby's book is out from Sophia Press, uh, A Journey to Mount Carmel, a nine-day preparation for investiture in the brown scapular of Our Lady. Joe, Joe. We're talking about the brown scapula, and obviously it's a reminder. You put it on. I mean, it's kind of like lay people putting on their habit. Um, talk a little bit about that and also talk about like clearly you must have like some type of devotion to Carmelite spirituality because you're writing about this. Talk about, you know, your your love of that spirituality because it's a beautiful spirituality that's grounded in Our Lady. Yes. Yeah. So so my, my first um, uh, awareness or, or introduction to the Brown Scapula was when I was in high school. And once I, I found out about the Brown Scapula, I, I was just immediately taken by it. And I think in large part because so many parts of our spiritual life are, are about our souls, whereas the scapular is our souls and our bodies. I mean, we literally wear the scapular on our bodies. And I, I think that just very much resonated with me. You know, we, we live in kind of a, a tattoo culture. You know, you see all these young people with tattoos. Everybody wants some message on their body. If you see a person with a tattoo, you can ask them what it means, and they have a whole story relating to it. And I think, you know, I was in my own teen years looking for that type of identity, that type of expression. And for me, I found the brown scapulars. Like, I can wear the scapular. I, I, I know that this, this summarizes who I am. It's something that's a part of my body. It's a part of me. And so, so I was very taken. In. And throughout my discipleship and then into my priesthood, I've, I've always encouraged people to wear the scapular. I recommended it. Uh, it, it. Here at the parish, I have a scapular mass in July. I give out the scapular at the sacramentals. Uh, at the celebration of the sacraments, I'm giving out uh, the scapular and other sacramentals, and just looking for ways in order to, you know, promote and encourage the scapular, and and, and by that to to encourage people to follow and be faithful to the way of the Lord Jesus. Like the scapular by itself means nothing. The scapular connected to our baptism, connected to discipleship, connected to the grace of God, can be powerful and a means and a help to us. So I've just always been taken by the scapular in, in terms of the Carmelite spirituality. I tend to be a little uh, fast-paced, and, and some might say I'm high-strung. Uh, so I kind of need the Carmelite spirituality. It's about waiting and listening. It, it's a challenge to me. It, it forces me to temper myself. 
So I've always been kind of attracted to that. And, and I think in large part because I realized I, I need it. Like that's a nice counterbalance uh, to my temperament. And so the scapular being within the Carmelite spirituality is also very helpful. And I would just say this, anyone who's listening, we live in a very fast paced world. Uh, we live in a world that tells us, keep going, keep going. Don't think, just keep going. And, and I think we all need the Carmelite spirituality, uh, that type of way, slow down, wait, listen. First and foremost to God, but then also to the people around us, the people we love. People can be so busy that they're not even spending time or listening to the people that they love. So I think the Carmelite spirituality has a lot to, to teach us and, and, and really an essential place right now in terms of our society. I, as a Catholic, Father Jeffrey Kirby, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. When I look at sacramentals, when I look at sacraments, when you walk into a when you walk into a um, a dimly lit church with Gregorian chant playing in the background, they're all reminders to me. No, we are special. This is I, and I know that that's off putting to some people. Okay, um, but the fact is, Jesus Christ founded this church, and this church gives us all this beauty and the, and these means of devotion and increasing um, our, our spiritual life, growing in holiness. Okay, yeah, we are special. I, I Joe says all the time on the show, you can't fault somebody. Let's say if they if they don't let's say prima facie accept the Catholic Church, okay. But are you seeking the truth? I think that's that's the thing. And you you when you avail yourself of all these things and you really dig into them, I, I really can't I can't see anybody who has an open heart not saying there's 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 got to be truth in this. Uh, your comments on that, Father? Yes, no, I'm right there with you. I think that you know, so oftentimes like we have to be willing to share the message of the gospel with other people and not be ashamed of it or, or treat it as if it's, it's somehow bad. You know, I, I grew up at a time when pornography was bad and people talked about God. Now our society tells us pornography is good and you're supposed to be embarrassed about God, right? You know, so the scriptures say we're calling good evil and evil good. So I think we have to be you know, open to, to speaking the gospel and, and we have to encourage people. You know, we respect people. We love them. We we try to present the gospel and, and you know, in a way that's not intimidating or, 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 or causing fear or anything of that sort. But we have to oh, you know, be willing to share it because we were made for God and we were made by God. And, and the message is there. And if people have an openness or they want an openness, uh, I think we have. We need to keep hearing the gospel, changing our lives, but then also like sharing that. And and sometimes it can be offering maybe a sacramental like or offering, you know, uh, some aspect of our spiritual life, uh, offering to someone, you know, to pray for someone or pray with someone. So I think that this is one the one area that we've never, we don't usually think of the spiritual life in terms of evangelization, but I think it's the one area we can try because we can try moral truth. Okay. We can try doctrine. Okay. I don't know how successful those will be in our world today. Or we can just try the spiritual life and just say to people, can I tell you about God's love? Or can I pray for you? Or, you know, they're describing something that's happened in their family or some hardship or difficulty that they're going through and say, can, can I pray about that for you or with you? Or to give someone rosary beads or a scapular and so on. I, I think this is a, a whole new area of evangelization that we haven't even thought of or attempted in the past. Absolutely. So Father Jeffrey Kirby's with us. Joe Racinello, we probably have time on the topic of the scapula. We probably have time for one more question. Carmelite spirituality basically focus on, focuses on one of the many things it focuses on is purity of heart and stout in conscience. I love that um, because we have to be strong and formed our conscience. But purity of heart is so big. 
Yeah. Like, I can't emphasize that enough because I think that's what prevents people from seeing God. It prevents me from seeing the God, actually, if you want to. Like, I see him, but I don't see him. If we saw what went on on the altar, we would faint. But, like, literally, talk about that because I think there is a key for yes. people. Yes, yes. St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, open the eyes of your heart. So, so I think in, in, in so many ways, we have to seek that kind of opening you know, of our spiritual eyes, opening of our heart, uh, you know, and that allows for the cleanliness of the purity of heart. Now, oftentimes people hear that and immediately want, immediately want to go to sexual purity and in terms of, of the purity of the body. And that's part of it, but that's only one part of it. You know, there are other parts in terms of, you know, are, are we speaking and, and desiring to, to honor truth? Are we being transparent? Are we being open to other people? There's so many parts that are involved when we speak about a cleanliness of heart. And, and that cleanliness of heart, very much in the Christian tradition, it's, it's one of the Beatitudes of our Lord, uh, definitely the Carmelite spirituality. And the more we nourish that, the more we are, we're able to see God. We can see his providence. Some people can just see tragedy, but we see even in this hardship that, that, that God is there. We see God's power. We see his presence. So we are able to see things that natural eyes cannot see, but the spiritual eyes of the heart can. And we definitely have to nurture that in, in our everyday life. And that, of course, relies to we have to rely on the grace of God. So the sacraments, the sacramentals can help us because in our fallenness, we keep wanting to go back to our natural eyes. If I can't see it, if I can't control it, if I can't calculate it, it's not true, right? But spiritual wisdom is the opposite. I can't calculate whether somebody loves me. I, I can't control whether someone believes in me. So the higher things of life that we see, even in our everyday lives, we begin to realize these things are beyond the natural eyes. These are the things that pertain to the eyes of the heart. And that especially is involved when we speak about God and our belief in God and our willingness to follow his son. Father, Father Kirby, we have about, before the break, we have a couple minutes, okay? Let me ask you this. Um, God's voice and listening for God's voice. Si you know, small voice, we learn that in scripture. It's not in the fire. It's not in the storm. Okay, he's in the small voice. Tell our audience, please, the need to stop distracting ourselves. Now, the scapular we're talking about obviously reminds us that we need to shut up and open our ears. Yes, shut up. I'm saying that to myself, first and foremost. Talk about the need to start reducing the distractions in our daily lives and, and start being quiet. Think about the scapular. Think about the rosary. Go ahead, Father. you got about yeah, a minute. Just, well, as you say that, Joe, I, I think about this uh, uh, gym coach I had in middle school. He'd always walk in the gym and, and yell at the top of his lungs, uh, shut up! <laughs> 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 you know, I still, in my late 40s, I could, can hear him in my head, right? And, uh, and, and definitely the spiritual life of the church says that to us. Like, you know, shut up, quiet down, uh, be still and know that he is God. And, and as you said, Joe, that that still small voice, that that expression is actually comes from the prophet Elijah. So the same prophet I was talking about who had the battle with the false gods, the false priests of, of, of the god Baal on Mount Carmel. So he's the one after he had this huge battle. He flees because uh, the queen uh, Jezebel is out to get him. He, he flees. He, he's hiding in the mountain. And he starts questioning God, and he, he's looking for God in the earthquake, and he's looking for him in, in, in the cloud storms, and he's, he wants something big, he wants something loud, he wants something earth-shattering, and God speaks to him, as you're saying, Joe, the scriptures tell us that still small voice. And, and, and I want you know, Christians to hear, and, and, and all people of goodwill, to hear biblical wisdom that if we want to listen to God, 
we want to, to be able to hear what he's saying to us, we have to slow down. We have to quiet down. Like what we're told right now by our culture, uh, you have to keep going. You have to keep the pace. You have to go fast. You have to not even know where you're going, but you have to keep going and you better get there first. Uh, this is the kind of this craziness we see in our world and, and, and our faith says, hey, slow down, quiet down. And, and I'll tell you, uh, both you gentlemen and, and to your listeners, like every time in my discipleship, when I've listened to the Holy Spirit and I've slowed down and I've quieted, that, quieted down, I have found that I've been able to be more kind, compassionate, more attentive, more loving. First of all, in my relationship with God, but then with those around me. When, when I'm going and, and I'm, on, I'm on a fever pitch and someone wants to stop, I can I can be very abrupt or unkind sometimes. I don't want to be that. That's not the person I want to be. But when I'm working on the spiritual life and I'm listening to that still small voice, then I can respond with the compassion, the kindness that, that I know I want to give and that God's asking me to give. Absolutely. Father Jeffrey Kirby's joining us here. So the book, go out and buy it at Sophia Press, A Journey to Mount Carmel, a nine-day preparation for investiture in the brown scapular of Our Lady. You are with the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello. Stick around because Father has many books, and we're going to be discussing another one about understanding the Bible in the next segment. Don't go anywhere at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened parishes and communities flourish so let people know you're listening to veritas tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for jesus and his church this is steve lee for veritas catholic network welcome back everyone to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo and joe Rosanello. we're way in the breach with father jeffrey kirby now in the last segment we were talking about the scapular, and we encourage you all to go out and buy father kirby's book on the scapular uh but now we're going to be discussing understanding the Bible. Now, I'm glad we're having this conversation. This is the, the, the title, the full title is Understanding the Bible, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word in Your Life Today. Now, that one is available at our Sunday Visitor, okay? Um, and I think, uh, Joe, if you don't mind, I, I'll kick it off a little bit. Usually, go, I kick go, it over go. to you. I think, Father Kirby, it's, it's so unfortunate. The, the uh, Protestants, evangelicals, non-Catholic Christians, they think we don't know the Bible. Sorry, we give them the impression that we don't know the Bible. Not only don't we understand it, but we don't really know it that well. Okay, guess why? Because we're not reading it. Talk about the need real quick, and then I'll hand it over to Joe. Talk about the need for Catholics again. Remember, the, the Scripture, the Bible, is our book. The church, gave the, the, the church gave the Scripture, the collection of Scripture, the canon of Scripture to Christianity. It's our book. We need to read it. That's right, exactly. Oftentimes people don't realize it was our early fathers of faith that brought together the different uh, sacred writings and, and gave us what we now call uh, the New Testament and then ratified the, the list of the Old Testament. So the Bible that we have is because of early Christian bishops, early Catholic bishops, our early fathers in the faith, of course, guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it was through the church, as you're saying, Joe, that we, that we received of the sacred scriptures. Let, let me start with some good and encouraging news, maybe, for, for our fellow Catholics, is that in recent research, it was discovered that the average Catholic, this is shocking, the average Catholic actually knows more of the Bible than the average Protestant, right? That is shocking. Now, yeah. Can I, like, guess, can I guess why? Go ahead. Because they hear the Bible in Mass. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So so Catholics can't quote chapter and verse. Sometimes they, they don't even know in what book of the Bible something might be, but they know the sacred stories. They know the sacred narrative better and more broadly than their average Protestant counterpart. 
And, and to your point, Joe, it's because of the lectionary cycle. Because oftentimes Catholics don't realize that if you go to a Protestant congregation, the, the minister might get up there and say, uh, we're going to do a series on Galatians. Well, for the next several months, that's all they hear is from Galatians. There's no first reading, second reading, gospel. No, it's just that portion of Galatians that he or she's going to preach on until the until that study, that, that book of the, of the Bible is complete. So you can imagine an entire congregation for some several months. That's all they're hearing on the weekends is from this one letter of the Bible and, and a portion of the letter. Compare that then to the average Catholic who's getting Old Testament reading, New Testament letter, gospel, and of course the Mass itself, which is immensely just filled uh, with, with, with biblical uh, context. So that's the good news to, to the average Catholic is you probably know, let me say to, the, to, our, to our fellow believers, you probably know more of the Bible than what you think you do. Now, I say that not so we can sit back and say, oh, yeah, we're better than the Protestants, right? <laughs> Which we are, but we, let's not do that, okay? <laughs> but, but, but no, instead, let, let, let's kind of push ourselves and say, okay, now I know this general story now. Okay, I'm, I'm hearing this. Now I need to do better, right? So let me start some type of systematic or, 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 or you know, a programmatic way of studying the scriptures. So maybe I'm going to say, okay, I want to learn the different books, or I want to know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the different parts within the Old Testament or the New Testament, or I want to focus on specific books, for example, the four gospel books that recount the life and teachings of our Lord. So as Catholics, we need to be encouraged by this news. Okay, you know more of the Bible than what you think you do, but then challenged, okay, now add that other part to it so we can really engage and understand the, the written word of God. And, and we can allow God to speak to us through his word. And man, do we need it? <laughs> you know, people always say, uh, people always think throughout history, they're living in the worst times. I, I, I could, I can make a really good argument that we're living in some pretty pitiful times and how much so that, you know, the title of your book is understanding the Bible, a Catholic guide to applying God's word in your life today. You know what? And I'm going to hand it over to Joe. If we applied God's word in our lives as a nation, okay, we wouldn't have, I'm going to say, all of the problems that we have. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? Father, what type of Bible should Catholics purchase? I think that's a good question because there's a lot of versions out there and kind of break down like what makes a Catholic Bible a Catholic Bible and you know, not saying the other Bibles aren't good, but there's some books that may not be in that, you know, Bible versus a Catholic Bible. Kind of break it down, because I think that's important yeah. for every Catholic home. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I always like to start an answer to, to that type of question. Uh, yeah, I'm in Indian Land, South Carolina. It's right near Charlotte, North Carolina. And of course, Charlotte's where uh, the Reverend Billy Graham lived and, and, and the basis of his ministry. And and whenever people would ask Dr. Graham, uh, Billy Graham, uh, what's what what translation is the best uh, for the Bible? What what's the best translation? Uh, he would always say, uh, "The one you're reading," you know. <laughs> and, and, and I want you to stress that. And that I, I want to talk about a little, uh, you know, in terms of the differences of translations. But I want to begin by just emphasizing the first thing is just picking up the scriptures and reading, and 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 whatever translation you might have, just, just go with that. And, and then you can build on that as you begin to be more comfortable. So the best translation is the one you're reading, because that's the first thing is just pick up the scriptures and start to read. Now, with that understanding, let me just clarify the different translations in terms of, of a Catholic Bible. So in the Catholic Bible, let me just say, there are seven additional books in the Old Testament. So 
during the Protestant Reformation, seven of those books were removed from the by the Protestant reformers from the Old Testament. So there's a discrepancy in the Old Testament books between Catholics and Protestants. That's the major thing that Catholics need to be aware of. Thanks be to God when it comes to the New Testament, we all agree that there are 27 books in the New Testament. Now, Martin Luther tried to kick out the letters of the Hebrews and the letter of St. James, but eventually the Protestant tradition brought them back. So we agree on 27 books in the New Testament. Now, in terms of the translation, there's two ma major translations Catholics need to be aware of. One is called the New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, oftentimes called the Ignatian Bible. And that's a very good one, especially if someone wants to go a little deeper in the scriptures. It tends to be a very precise translation. It's favored by academics and especially those who are publishing works on the Bible. So, for example, uh, this book we're speaking about, Understanding the Bible, I use the Ignatian Bible, the New Revised Standard, uh, New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. Uh, so, okay, that's one to highlight. However, the translation we hear at Mass is the New American Translation. Now, the New American, New American Translation can be very good. It's a very casual translation, so readers just need to be aware of that. If you're looking for to go into a little more detail, a little more thoroughness, you're not going to find that in the New American Translation. The New American Translation takes into account that it's going to be used for proclamation during the liturgy. So there are times in which the spoken context is taken into account in the translation. Because, you know, if you're going to write something that you know is going to be read out loud, it's going to be different than if you're translating something that you know is not going to be read out loud. So the New American is, is the one we hear at Mass. Again, it tends to be a little more casual. But I will say, especially for new Bible readers, it tends to be uh, more fluid, and it tends to be an easier read for new Bible readers. So... There are other translations, the Jerusalem translation, New Jerusalem translation, uh, and so on. But but those are the two that, that you know Bible readers need to be aware of: the Ignatian Bible and the New American Bible. Father Jeffrey Kirby is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're talking about his book, Understanding the Bible, that's available at our Sunday Visitor. So here's the thing: we mentioned Protestants and Evangelicals. Okay, they think that we were prohibited from reading the Bible. Okay. Which I, I, I think for a minute when somebody says something so outrageous, you say, well, it must be true. It's so outrageous. What do you mean? The Catholic Church prohibited people from reading the Bible. I think what the Catholic Church did, and this is where I'm going with this, was uh, discourage people from private interpretation of Scripture. Now, in 1943, Pope Pius XII issued the encyclical uh, Divino Aflante Spiritu that not only allowed Catholics to study Scripture, but as I said, encouraged them to do so. What was the position? Why the need for the encyclical? Because yeah, you would think, yeah. well, go ahead. Well, you know, yeah. like what was it? What's it, what's it been like for two thousand years as far as the church and scripture and and individuals like ourselves um, as far as scripture is concerned? Go ahead, yeah. Father. Well, first, let, let's just let's springboard from what we were just talking about and, and just make the obvious point that if it was not for early Catholic bishops, we would not have a Bible. So if, if our intent was to somehow restrict the Bible or to not let the baptized read the Bible, then why would we have composed it and canonized it, right? So, uh, so first of all, the fact that we have the Bible, the gift of the Holy Spirit working through the Catholic Church through our early bishops. So just, just to state that, you know, historical fact. Uh, and then uh, to, to your greater point, Joe, is sometimes I hear people, you know, that they'll draw these images uh, from the Middle Ages and say, well, you know, they used to, the Catholic Church used to chain the Bible 
you know, in the church and so on. And, and they would have these pictures or drawings and so on, you know. And, and, and of course, they would miss the obvious. It's like, well, uh, okay, where was that Bible chained? Oh, in the church. Oh, and, and was it, you know, in a closet or was it, you know, in a restricted area? Well, no, it was right there. It's like, oh, um, because the reality was that actually the church, for those who could read, wanted to provide the Bible, but it was changed so no one would steal it, right? So it was actually— Well, Father, go ahead. Talk about—tell the audience how expensive were Bibles. You didn't have the oh, Gutenberg oh. printing press. You It cost that, what we consider nowadays a lot of money, okay, Absolutely. to have somebody sit down and, 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 and write one. Go ahead, Father. Exactly. I'm sorry. No, no. Ex ex to your point, I mean, Bibles were immensely. I mean, uh, uh, you couldn't even put a cost on them. They're priceless because of the amount of work and attention that had to be put into them. And, and of course, many people couldn't read, but the ones who could, the church wanted to make the scriptures available. And then, for those who couldn't read, what did the church invent? Stained glass, in order to recount the sacred stories of the scriptures. So, I think anyone who has open eyes and looks fairly at the history, uh, first of all, Western history, which is the history of the Catholic Church, that were to look at this would say, no, the church at every twist and turn was realizing wh what the reality was in terms of society and culture, and then provided, as best the church could, the opportunities for the faithful to encounter the Bible or the sacred narrative that we find in the Bible. So, for example, like with stained glass or sacred art and so on, uh, also with popular hymns and songs. Like, you know, the church was coming up with these things, these, these various uh, uh, expressions of, of devotion in order to help the faithful to understand the stories of the scriptures. So I, I think anyone who would say, well, the Catholic Church, you know, oh, it doesn't want people to read the Bible and so on, so, uh, they really don't know what they're talking about. And, and, and to your earlier point, uh, Joe, the church has always discouraged private interpretation. You know, that, you know, that we, we know uh, from our spiritual tradition, there's only one interpretation of the scripture, but there are thousands and thousands of applications. So there's only one definitive interpretation. But what that means to me or how that applies to my life or, you know, what additional wisdom that might provide to me and in, in, in my situations and, and my temperament or whatever, that's going to be as different as the different children of God. So I think the church was being careful because she reveres the scriptures in terms of private revelation, discouraging it. Sure. And one thing I'll say, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. You steal a Bible out of a church back in the day because you break the chains? Well, guess who you're stealing it from? The lay people who can read because they couldn't afford one. That's why the church chained the Bible, okay? So that so that it doesn't get stolen from the people. Joe Rossinello. It sounds like such a New Jersey thing. Chain the Bible. That's a, well, that's, you know what it is, Joe, because his father, like his father right said, out of New Jersey. The, the, the church, the, obviously the church has had enemies. The church is the truth. It's the body of Christ. So obviously the enemy is has been working overtime for the last 2,000 years to destroy the church. And again, I'm not saying that Protestants are, are actively seeking to destroy the church. But if you're going to attack the church, attack the church on facts and reality and what the church actually teaches and what the church actually did and the reasons why she did what she did, okay, in certain circumstances. In this case, it's chaining a Bible and making sure nobody steals it, okay? Um, that would be like keeping the poor box unlocked. Well, just welcome in the thieves. They're going to go in and they're going to they're take the money. So I just wish people would at least be truthful if they want to criticize. Let me be charitable criticized the church in her practices and her teachings and and that's why i brought that up that's why joe that's why i got a little new jersey on you there yeah, you got Go ahead. <laughs> joe Resinello. we're talking about understanding the bible with uh father kirby please go out and buy his book at our sunday visitor joe joe
And we want our Catholic brothers and sisters to read the Bible. And that's why this is a great book. So I kind of want to break down the structure, Father, and then you could speak to it. Um, in the book, basically, he provides like each chapter with a quick, easy to read summary of the book, uh, touching on history, themes, applying the book to our own issues today. Very big. Father Kirby has another great book out there, which we discussed on this show, talking about important issues, why the Bible still speaks to them. And the struggles we have, talk about that, because the Bible is forever new. Yes, yes. So, Joe, to your point, that you know, there are 73 books in the Bible. There are 73 chapters in this book. Each chapter of the book reflects a book of the Bible. And then, uh, to your point, uh, each chapter, it, it's almost bullet points. It, it gives, you know, the basic skeleton. So, if someone has a Bible in front of them and they have this book, Understanding the Bible, in front of them, they can read and get a quick summary of the book of the Bible and then dive into it. And so basic things like, you know, what, what is the major point? What are, what are the, uh, the main message? Uh, what's an outline of this particular book? And so on, and, and point by point by point uh, on the particular book of the Bible. But, but then, and, and this is the part that I think is, is maybe um, the, the real contribution uh, to, to this book, Understanding the Bible, is it takes a part of each book of the Bible and then it applies it to something in our lives today. Because, because we know that the sacred scriptures, it's a living word. It's still speaking. It's still teaching. It's still instructing, admonishing, correcting us. When we open up the scriptures, God is speaking to to us. I, I want to emphasize that when we open up the scriptures, God is speaking to us. So I want to kind of give examples of that in, in each of the books of the Bible. So I just take one part and I say, you know, there are, are dozens or hundreds of applications of different parts of, of the book of each, each book of the Bible, and the Holy Spirit will apply that however it needs to. But I try to provide at least one to, to give an example to people, uh, to, to the readers, what this looks like. But let me just give a, a random example. If we were to go to the book uh, of the minor prophet Obadiah in the Old Testament, first of all, you gotta love that name. <laughs> you know? So we got Obadiah. I've never met an Obadiah, Father. Me either. In... <laughs> I, I, I've heard of an Obi Wan Kenobi, but not an Obadiah. <laughs> <Now it's... laughs> right? Okay. Right. So, so we got Obadiah. Right now, now I, I mentioned him because that's actually the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's actually only one page. So. The listeners can hear this today, open up their Bibles tonight, and read in five minutes the book of Obadiah. And say tomorrow at work, last night I read a whole book of the Bible, right? So we go to Obadiah, and what is this book about? Well, Obadiah is sent by God to the Edomites. And the Edomites were related to the Israelites, and they traced their lineage back to Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers. So they're brothers, so the Edomites and the Israelites. Well, when the Babylonians come to attack the Israelites, the Edomites don't help their brother, the Israelites. In fact, they side with the Babylonians and they attack the Israelites. And so God sends the prophet to the Edomites to say, you have betrayed your brother. You did not support family in, in the hour of need. And God says, I will remember that and you will have discipline brought upon you. Now, later in salvation history, the Edomites are destroyed. And here, what is the message we can apply? Well, my goodness, sometimes we put fun and dysfunction in our families, don't we? And this prophet is reminding us, brother helps brother. We support family. Family sticks together. That's a lesson we all need to have because sometimes it's just easier to say, I give up on this person. I'm going to walk away from this situation. And I'm just I'm washing my hands of this whole situation. But here we're being reminded by the, by the prophet Obadiah that no, like 
family has been called together by God. Later, St. Paul will tell us, tell us in his letters to the Ephesians that every family is named by God. And I tell people, if you have a difficult family member, huh, God sent them to you because he knew that you would love them and pray for them. <laughs> so the prophet Obadiah has a powerful and challenging message for us in terms of love and loyalty to family. And again, that's just a message we all need to hear. So that's just one example. In the book, I kind of developed that theme and say, here's one message, one point that we can get from this very small book, one page, from this prophet with a peculiar name, but who has a message that, that is still very applicable and needed by us today. And and I think that's that's important to talk about. I mean, um, you know, you, that, that well-known acronym, you know, best instructions before leaving Earth. That's what Bible stands for, right? But that's what you hear when people attack. The, well, we don't need that ancient manuscript. I'm always reminded of Ecclesiastes, which is in the Bible, <laughs> um, where it says there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. People think that we progressed, Father Kirby, so far that we're we're not the same type of people as those Israelites or those Romans or those Greeks or the Egyptians or the Babylonians. No, we're so far, we're more progressed. We're worse. That's right. We are worse. We've heard the truth. You talk about a water, you know, the Western civilization, okay? We've heard the truth and we've rejected it. That's why we have so many problems. Talk about that, Father, that people shouldn't think that you're any different. Right. Than, than, than the people that lived 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, because you're not. That's right. Well, let, let's just go, for example, uh, Albert Einstein, who was a secular Jew. Uh, Albert Einstein said in, in more contemporary times, he says, our development of technology has not yet been matched by a development of morality. And, and Oppenheimer, who created the nuclear bomb, was appalled by the development of technology. We now have the capacity to destroy ourselves and said that there's been no development in terms of a moral understanding. So, Father so Kirby, the, yes. the, the best line, the best line I, I've ever read, leave it to the poets, right? Uh, along the lines of what you're saying is when Eliot wrote, closer to knowledge, no nearer to the truth. Amen. That, that, go ahead, Father. I, yeah, no, Joe, you, you've got it. Like, and to your point is we keep thinking, oh, these, these, these are ancient manuscripts or, you know, people want to dismiss the scriptures and so on. No, following human nature is the same. Uh, our inclination to be selfish and sin is the same. Our, our, our tendency to dominate others or to, you know, look out only for number one is still there. Uh, so, you know, technology can be developed, civilizations can develop, but if we don't have a development of moral understanding, if we don't have a, a deepening of, of what it means uh, to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong, then not only, to your point as well, you said earlier, Joe, not only does that make us not different from ancient civilizations, but perhaps even worse, because we have the capacity, I mean, the ancient Babylonians and the Persians and the Egyptians, they, they couldn't blow up the planet, right? Now we have this capacity where we have this technology, and yet we have not developed in any way a deepening of a moral sense within the human family. Absolutely. Father Jeffrey Kirby joining us here. We're talking about understanding the Bible, which is his book available at Our Sunday Visitor, A Catholic Guide to Applying God's Word to Your Life. Today, Joe Resinello. Let's talk about getting started. Obviously, a way to get started is go buy Father Kirby's book. That's a good starting point. But what could you do? Um, I'll speak personally. I read the Magnificat. It has the, the, the mass. It has a morning reading. It has a, an evening reading, and it has the mass. You could read the mass readings, which is an Old Testament and a gospel. And another 
I guess, tip is you have to pick a time in the day where you're always going to do it and stay disciplined. Me, I have a lot of kids. I do it early in the morning when I'm drinking coffee and the house is silent. And I'm absolutely religious about it. That is when I do it. The house is silent because if I don't do it, then I get pulled away. I'm doing 700 different things. It's gone. Magnificat, great periodical, costs next to nothing. Um, and you read the Bible every day. What are your thoughts? What are some tips? Yeah, so I think uh, resources like Magnificat are, are, are invaluable. I know that Word on Fire just uh, created a, a um, very accessible version of the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, so it's kind of like the Magnificat, a, a little more developed. That, that can also be a great resource. But in terms of the scriptures themselves, you know, I would say that someone could look and, and come up with a, a reading plan for themselves. So, for example, one easy way is we know that the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament has 31 chapters. So 31 Proverbs. And so there's 31 days in a full month. So you take the day of the month and you match it with the Proverbs. So if it was the 15th day of the month, you go to Proverbs 15. It would take you two or three minutes to read that proverb. That's divine wisdom. That's wisdom that every age of, of the human family needs. Like that is wisdom that can help everyone, each one of us, no matter what time period we live in, as we were saying earlier. So I, I think that that's going to be one. So what's the proverb of the day? Open up the book of Proverbs. There it is. Also, we know there's 150 Psalms. The Psalms describe every possible human emotion, from anger to grief to sorrow to joy to jubilation to triumph, everything. And you can just flip through the book of, Pro of Psalms and say, how am I feeling today? Right? Well, I'm, I'm really angry with some family. Flip, flip, flip. Oh, there's, there's, like, there's a Psalm, there's a Psalm, there's a Psalm, right? Or I'm over ecstatic. Things are going great. Thank, I, I just see God's blessings and so on. Flip, oh, oh, good. Here's a, a Psalm of jubilation. Here's one of joy. Here's one of thanksgiving and so on. So the book of Psalms, very rich. And, and that helps us in our contemporary age because we tend to be very emotional people uh, in, in Western culture today. And so the book of Psalms can be great in, in terms of a help. If someone's looking for something more systematic, like they would say, well, yeah, okay, Proverbs and Psalms, I hear that, but I want to read something like, you know, really like the same thing for, for a duration of time. Great. And I would say pick one of the gospel books. And I would say if you're just looking for one, you're, you're just a, a, a you know, beginning uh, Bible reader and so on, I would say go to the, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest gospel, only 16 chapters. So it doesn't feel overwhelming. You know, we're not going to have to, you know, worry about, you know, not making it to the end. So the Gospel of Mark can be very good in terms of, of starting that. But if someone says, well, says, well, I've been doing kind of these things for a while, but I want to do something more now. Well, then you can begin to do what are called the narrative books. So these are the 14 or 15 books that tell the base storyline of salvation history. So 73 books in the Bible. Whenever people say, I want to read the whole Bible. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But normally what they mean is that they want to read and know the story of salvation. In which case, good news, you have to only read 14 or 15 books. That's it. Then you know the base storyline. So, for example, you don't have to read the book of Leviticus, which is the priest's handbook, if you just want to know the story of salvation. Not initially, right? And you don't have to read the intricacies of the development of the monarchy in other parts of, old, of the Old Testament books, uh, if you just want to know the base storyline of salvation. So those narrative books can be very helpful because let, let me just say this in, in case our new Bible readers aren't aware that you know, the Bible was not written to be read from cover to cover like a novel. 
that there are actually 73 books. It's like a library. And there are different literary genres, different literary styles. We have poetry, we have history, we have, you know, uh, fictional stories. We have, you know, um, um, accounts, uh, kind of like variations of a biography and so on. So there's different genres. So it's a library. And so when you approach the Bible to say, I'm going to read it from cover to cover, again, any reading of the Bible is good. But just be aware that's not really how the Bible was intended to be read. And so when someone wants to take those next steps, I would say maybe the narrative books are the best way to go. Yeah, I made I made the mistake, Father Jeffrey Kirby, of thinking in my journey that, you know, I said, I got to read the Bible, got to read the Bible. I said, I'm going to open it to page one. And then after after a while, I heard from about 100 different people. Yeah, I tried that, too. It didn't work. <laughs> the funny thing is, we have to go. I, I just want to mention that it's funny. Um, at that state I was in life when I when I did start reading the uh, scripture and sat down with it, it was a King James version, as a matter of fact, that I had. Um, I didn't want to read what Jesus had to say. I didn't want to read the gospel because I was afraid of what he was going to be telling me. I started with Paul. And I don't know if that was any better. <laughs> you know, I went through I went through the letters first. And uh, but hey, any way, any way you have to do it, you know, initially you know, to, 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 to get, to get the juices flowing to, you know, because remember it's like you said, it's 73 books, right? You can never exhaust what you can learn from scripture over the course of a lifetime, start somewhere, start somewhere. And that's why we're glad father Jeffrey Kirby, that you came on with us today. So father, the title of the book and where our audience could buy it. Yeah. So it's understanding the Bible and uh, how to apply God's word to your everyday life. And it's from our Sunday visitor. Yeah, and we would encourage everybody support our Catholic publishers. Don't buy it from any big box store. Buy it from our Sunday visitor and all the books that we highlight here at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. Father Kirby, you know you're always welcome here. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you all out there for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us uh, primarily right now on YouTube, but we are making a move from there soon, hopefully. But right now, you get the best places to frontline with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.